0: Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We want to look at verses 1 through 8. Continue in sound doctrine. Now Paul writes his final chapter to Timothy. Timothy's a young pastor there in Ephesus. We know that Paul is in a Roman prison. It was called house arrest, yet Paul was shackled to a Roman soldier. This is Paul's second uh, time of imprisonment, his last days on earth. We know that. We know historically that Paul would die uh, at the hands of Nero, the emperor of Rome at the time. The early church uh, is under tremendous persecution, pressure. Many, many Christians uh, have died under Roman rule at this time. More would die as it continued. Paul is moved now by uh, the Holy Spirit, as he pins these last three pastoral epistles. He writes to Timothy, and then he writes to Titus, and then he comes back, and he writes 2 Timothy. You can say that it's this farewell message, the theme in all three letters, to encourage these young pastors in the last days. And here we are, 1950-plus years later, and we still are facing the last days. In our last two teachings, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and now in chapter 4, Paul encourages, we saw last week, follow sound doctrine. And this week, this morning, Timothy, continue in sound doctrine. And so here's the key for us this morning, as well as Paul is writing uh, to Timothy, to Titus, to the early church, And as I mentioned, 1950 plus years later, we're able to glean from these pastoral epistles. So the church is to be encouraged to continue in sound doctrine. When we speak of sound doctrine, healthy teaching. Sound doctrine, healthy instructions of God's word. Uncorrupt teachings. True instructions of God. The healthy learning of God's inherent word. We spoke last week in Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed. And so we take pride here at Calvary Chapel. Our desire is to teach from Genesis to Revelation. We don't like to miss anything. We like to go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, book by book. And you will hit the essential doctrines. And so when we speak of sound teaching, we speak of healthy doctrine. Let's not just get our ears tickled, and we're going to be speaking about that this morning. But let us hear the Word of God. Let us take heed to what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. And so Paul's going to encourage Timothy. Now, what would be our words to our own family? What would be my words to the fellowship or to the body of Christ or to the leadership here? If I knew my time was short. Paul exactly is fitting that criteria. He knows that his time is very short. The Holy Spirit has spoken to him. And so he pens these letters. These letters of encouragement. Notice as we begin in verse 1. And he's speaking to Timothy. But let us take heed to what the Holy Spirit is saying to us. I charge you therefore, Timothy, basically, before God. And the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. The word to charge here. He's saying, my witness to you, Timothy, before God and our Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his second advent, the return of Jesus Christ, to judge mankind and to set up the kingdom age. I'm going to give you some homework because we don't have time to go back and read the text. But in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46, Jesus speaks about judgment of the nations. We understand, if you know anything about Matthew chapter 25, uh, the separation of the goats and the sheep. Everyone will face the Lord Jesus Christ. All mankind will be judged for one thing and one thing only. What did we do with Jesus Christ? Not what did Calvary Chapel do, but what did you do with Jesus Christ? Son of God, Savior of the world. We know that he died on the cross. We know that he was buried. We know that he he resurrected from the dead. We know there was a 40-day post-resurrection. We know that there's an ascension uh, into heaven. We know that uh, the 120 go into the upper room. They're in the book of Acts in chapter 2. And the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, the prophecies of Joel chapter 2, come to pass. And the church was never the same after that. And they went and they proclaimed the gospel. And now the gospel has been uh, proclaimed for the last 2,000 years. And so we hear the gospel message. What do we do with Christ? We're going to be judged for that. Do we receive Christ? Because there's basically two camps. Either we receive Christ or we reject Christ. It's our choice. We're free moral agents and we must make a choice. And so the separation of the goats and the sheep and then the judgment. I want you to turn to two passages of scripture. First of all, let's go to Isaiah chapter 45. And then if you get there, leave a marker, and then flip over to Romans chapter 14. But Isaiah, the prophet, writes of the Messiah's words in the last days. These, uh, these are prophetic words. Isaiah's writing 700 years before the birth of Christ. And this prophetic word, Paul picks it up in the book of Romans. It's here for us this morning, church. In Isaiah 45, look at verse 23. Isaiah writes, I have sworn by myself. He's speaking of Christ. The word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that to me. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall take an oath. Isaiah is bringing forth such clarity of prophecy. Now flip over to Romans chapter 14. Paul picks us up and he shares with the church at Rome. In chapter 14, look at verse 10. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Everybody. Look at verse 11. For it is written, and he's quoting Isaiah 45, 23. It is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. And so this process on the judgment day, Every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess. What is it that we must confess, church? That Jesus Christ is God, and that there is no other salvation but through him. Now, Pastor Bob, that's pretty narrow-minded. That's pretty straight-laced. I mean, that doesn't give too many options. Jesus said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to my father, but through me. And so Paul's encouraging Timothy, take this charge. Take this witness, because the time is coming. Share with those that God has placed in your ministry, Timothy. We're going to see that God charges us also. We're called, we're all called to preach. And so the importance here. Now, he continues. Let's go back to our text. This says exhortation of love and compassion uh, to Timothy. Look at verse 2. Preach the word. Underline that. Preach the word, Timothy. Preach the word, Titus. Preach the word, Pastor Bob. Well, you say, well, that's your ministry. That is my ministry. But what about you? You're a Christian. You're born again of the Holy Spirit. You go to your workplace tomorrow. You go to your workplace this evening. You go to your schools this coming week. You might go over to the gym. You might go uh, this afternoon see Grandma and Grandpa. We just finished the holidays. Maybe there's still those visiting. The opportunities that God gives to us. What about our neighborhood? We are called to preach. Preach the word. Now, notice as he continues, be ready, Timothy, in season and out of season. And then this is what we do when we preach. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. Why is he given such an exhortation? Because one day all mankind will stand before their maker. We just read that in verse 1. Paul encourages Timothy. He's encouraging us this morning. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, preach. Now when we speak of the word to preach, it means the public crier. It means the heralder. The one who brought the news to the city. We've all seen, you know, the movies, Hear Ye, Hear Ye. We've all seen that man that would stand in the soapbox and, you know, give forth the news. And so we would listen. And so the preacher was to bring forth, obviously, the good news. We know that as we study God's word, preaching is for the non-believer and teaching is for the believer. Timothy, not only do we preach the word of God, but we must be ready at all times to preach. In season, out of season. Be prepared. Be persistent. uh, Be uh, urgent. Be earnest. In season, out of season. Uh, The Greek is saying whether or not you are welcome to preach the word of God. Preach it. Why? Because the world is dying and going to hell before our very eyes. You see, all good pastors, all good ministers of God's truth. The Word of God is truth, and it's to be preached to the world. Now, notice the three positions of preaching. The Word of God is to convince the world of their sin. It's to rebuke the world. It's to exhort the world and also the church. Now, listen, to the word convince, it speaks of the word to reprove, to convict, and that's the Holy Spirit's job. But as the word comes, to admonish one's faults, the sin nature of man. To rebuke, secondly, when we preach the word rebukes, it. Uh, the word charges, uh, the word accuses, the word admonishes, blames, scolds, and I like this, the word of God reprimands. But don't forget exhortation. Now, A lot of times we want to exhort. Listen, don't be doing that. And we want to take down walls, but don't forget when you exhort, you also need to build walls back up. And so when we exhort, let it be the place of comforting somebody, the place of consoling, the place of invoking. But listen to Greeks, uh, Vines Dictionary of Greek words. The word to exhort can also bring us to cause others to pray, to exhort. To do it with love, compassion, and grace. I mean, not just to come into, you know, you know your friend's sinning, you know uh, your loved one is sinning, and you come and just tear them down. Do it with love and grace and compassion. As somebody shared with you, as the Holy Spirit speaks to you. Do it with love. Convince, rebuke, exhort. And I like he says here, here Paul speaks of exhorting with all long-suffering. The word is patience. Be patient with those around us. And teaching them, and again, the word teaching. Now, we've preached to them. They come to saving grace. Teach them the word of God. Sound doctrine. Again, in season, out of season. Why? Because the days are evil and the days are short. You see, exhortation, it's a gift of God. I want you to listen to this verse. I'm going to just read it to you. In Romans chapter 12, verse 8. Now, when you get to Romans chapter 12, Paul teaches on some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are given to the church. And so he says in verse 8, he who exhorts, let it be an exhortation. And here's another gift. He who gives, let him give liberally Uh, Here's another gift. He who leads, let him lead with diligence. And and here's the last gift that he speaks of. He who shows mercy, do it with cheerfulness. Now, to properly understand Romans 12.8, I looked at the New Living Translation. It just brings it out so clear. Let me read it to you. Listen to it. If your gift is to encourage others, do it. If you have money, if you have the means, share it Generously. If God has given you uh, the leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift for showing kindness uh, to others, do it gladly. But I like what uh, Pastor Chuck shared with us years ago. How can you share mercy if you haven't first received mercy? How can you share God's love if you haven't first received God's love? How can you speak about God's grace unless you have received first God's grace? And so I remember when my friend exhorted me listen, you need to come to saving grace. Oh, initially you don't like it. How dare him? I'm okay. I'm not that bad. I mean, we have all the excuses, we have the cliches, we have the phrases. I've not killed nobody, I don't commit adultery. I'm not a fornicator, but I drink a little bit. So what? It's nobody's business. And he would exhort with love and compassion and grace. And as the Holy Spirit speaks to you, you want more. Because the truth, listen, the truth is getting through. And so Paul, in these first two verses, I had to share this before I went into verse 3. Why all this excitement, Paul? Verse 1, the charge to them. Verse 2, to preach the gospel in season, out of season. And he gives us the reason. Look at verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, this is fleshly desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up For themselves, teachers with the same type of teaching. So again, verse 3. Why the rush, Paul? Why the rush to exhort Timothy and the church and the body of Christ? Why the urgency as the Holy Spirit obviously is giving Paul to pen? Because the time was coming. Listen. The time was coming in the last days. When sinful men and sinful women in the church, they will not endure sound doctrine. It was happening in the early church, the oppression from Rome. They believed that Nero was possibly the Antichrist, and that the church was already going through the tribulation. And so they will not endure sound doctrine. They will not hold themselves up to, and we already mentioned it, healthy teaching. Healthy instructions from the Word of God. But instead, they fall trapped, listen, to their own fleshly desires. There's a lot of teachings out there today. There's a lot on the radio. There's a lot uh, in the television, the televangelists. There's a lot of churches in our United States of America. But are they bringing forth, listen, sound doctrine? Because basically... We like to hear the good things. Listen, preacher, make me feel good. Don't be stepping on my toes. Make me feel good. Tell me I'm okay. Tell me I'm all right. Tell me that it's because I was water baptized, I don't have to worry about nothing. You see, there are those that are saying today, the Word of God says I must be rich. The Word of God says I must be healed. The Word of God says I must be successful. Now, the Word of God does teach about prosperity. The Word of God does teach about healings. I believe in the laying on of hands, the anointing of oil, the believing by faith. Now, the Bible is filled with stories of success. Yet, we love these stories. We love, you know, success. Well, Abraham was rich. Jacob was rich. Job was rich. And yet, Jesus speaks about the difficulties of the rich man getting into the kingdom of God. You see, we love this, the, the financial stories. We love the healing stories. We love the successful stories because we have itching ears. Listen to what the Greek says. Hearing that curiosity of information that's pleasing to the ears, pleasing to the heart. I mean, who doesn't want to be financially set? Who doesn't want to be healed? We, we spoke about prayer for two gentlemen earlier. Who doesn't want to be successful at their new job, at their new workplace or business that they started? Lord, bless this. Who doesn't want these things? But the Bible says, when I pray, do I pray God's will? Lord, give me prosperity. But Lord, if I can't handle it, Give me what I can handle. I remember years ago when I was first early in the ministry, and I was praying for a car. Yeah, in the back of the mine, a nice truck, a nice van. I get a Volkswagen. Come on, Lord, I don't fit in a Volkswagen. Come on. I get a Volkswagen. These are the things that God does. We pray, but that's not what I prayed for. Now, let me get to the healing. Remember the ten lepers? Jesus healed the ten lepers, but only one leper came back. The Bible says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, but to lose his own soul? Could be in the healing, could be in the finances, could be in the successful story. Listen to this verse again. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. But I'm going to read it to you in the modern translation. And I use it because I wanted to emphasize. The modern translation says in verse 3, Time will come when people will not listen to accurate teachings. Instead, they will follow their own desires and surround themselves with teachers who tell them what they want to hear. That's happening today, church. It's happening today. Do you hear what the preacher said? If I give 10, I'm going to give back a a hundredfold. Do you hear what the preacher said? God wants to heal you. Don't raise your hand, but how many of you have gone through your sickness, your disease, your pain, your infirmity, and now you know God used that? God used that in your life to draw you closer to him. It's obvious that in the seven churches to Asia Minor, uh, when we speak about the church at Smyrna, the church at Smyrna was the persecuted church, and that was the church that was growing leaps and bounds. You see, when I go through my trial, when you go through your trial, your hardship, your pain, whatever it might be, either we're going to draw closer to God or we're going to draw farther from God, and we're going to blame God. And so Paul is giving Timothy some strong insight because Paul's in prison. He knows he's going to die. He's looking at a young pastor. He's looking at Titus. The Holy Spirit's going to speak to pastors through the last 1950 years. Listen, you're going to go through hardship. I mean, Paul was a man of trials, his own countrymen. He was beaten. He was left shipwrecked. He was stoned to death. Paul was oftentimes running from one city to another city, lowered in a basket in one of the cities because the eldership wanted to kill him. It's not easy. And so Paul, through the Holy Spirit, is preparing Timothy, preparing young Titus. These were young men in the ministry. Oh, how many times uh, as pastors we have read 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And the encouragements that we get from it. Look at verse 4 now. Let's go back to our text. And he goes on with this testimony. And they will turn their ears away from the truth. Speaking of those that are listening to these pastors that are scratching your ears. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. And so here's what Paul's saying to Timothy. In the last days... They will refuse to listen to the truth. But they're going to turn to fables. They're going to turn to myths. They're going to turn to fiction. They're going to turn to tales. The truth of God's word will not fill their appetites. Again, because they like their ears to be tickled. It is important for us... To receive the word of God. Now I want you to turn uh, with me. Back a little bit here. To 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Look at verse 9 with me. Paul teaches what's going to take place. In the last days. He's speaking about the apostate church. Now the apostate church was then. The apostate church has been. For the last 2,000 years. There's always going to be apostates in the church. Those that have fallen away. Those that go back. The scripture says it's like a dog that goes back to his vomit. It's like the pig that goes back to the sour, uh, the mire pit that is. You see, it's it's like the, the backslider that goes back to Babylon. He goes back to Egypt. God has set us free. We've tasted of the Word of God. So listen to what Paul says here. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, look at verse 9. The coming of the lawless one, this is the Antichrist, the lawless one will be in accordance with the works of Satan, displayed in all kinds of uh, counterfeit miracles, counterfeit signs, and counterfeit wonders. All counterfeits. It's not of God. In verse 10, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing, they perish because, and here's the key, they refuse to love the truth and so to be saved. They reject God's word. That's not what it says. Come on, the Bible says I can be rich. That's not what it says. The Bible says I can be fully healed. That's not what it says. The Bible says I can be successful. But if you look at Scripture, the Bible speaks a lot about the poor. The Bible speaks a lot about those that weren't here. Paul himself, he asked to be healed three times. And the answer was to Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. Not everybody in the Bible was successful. But you see, we like to uh, read those verses that tickle the ear. We need to do the The complete context. In verse 11, he continues, For this reason, God sent them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. Remember when Pharaoh would not let God's people go? God said, I will harden his heart. And he made it harder, and he made it harder. It took ten plagues To release the children of Israel. And we know those plagues were uh, evident. Well you see the time is coming. When we just want to hear what's good. And so it says here. For this reason God sends them. Okay you want to hear the lie? I'll send you a powerful delusion. So that they will believe the lie. You want to believe the lie? And the liar? Which is Satan? Then God says go for it. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, uh, the serpent brought forth half-truth and half-lies. You see, the serpent is clever. (laughs) The serpent is subtle. The serpent lets you hear what you want to hear. And when the word of God comes, he blinds you and, and he stops your ears from it. Look at verse 12, the conclusion here. And so that all will be condemned who have not... Believe the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. Bottom line, if you reject Christ, hell is waiting for you. Then, that's the first judgment. Imagine, hell is the first judgment. The Bible says, after hell, you'll be taken out of hell and then placed in the lake of fire. According to Revelation chapter 20, verse 10, verse 14, verse 15. But here's the greatest judgment in hell. Yes, there's burning in hell. There's torments, plural, in hell. There's the gnashing of teeth in hell. There's a vivid description of what goes on in hell. Back in Luke chapter 16, the story of the rich man and Lazarus. But the greatest judgment, listen, is separation from God. Separation from God for eternal life. Hell is filling up. But one day hell will be emptied and then the lake of fire. Now let's go to verse 5. Let's go back to our text. And so Paul's encouraging again. Continue in sound doctrine. But you, Timothy, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. Timothy, the church at Ephesus, The body of Christ, the church for the last 1950 years, be watchful in all things. Listen to the translation. Be sober in the last days. Have a clear mind. Have a clear head in the last days. Because you're going to endure affliction. You're going to undergo hardships. You're going to go through the hard times in ministry. By the grace of God, by our faith in God, Timothy, Titus, the early church, us this morning, were able to sustain through the trials and through the tribulations. It's not easy, church. But notice that he says to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Again, uh, do the work of a preacher. And again, we're called. I can't be at the various places that you go to. You're a Christian. You receive uh, the word of God here. Take it. Share it with others. Become that preacher. Let them listen to the word of God. And they might not take heed to it, but do your ministry. Preach one who cries out to the non-believer and to the church. Back in verse 2, one who reproves, one who rebukes, one who exhorts. Timothy, the church at Ephesus, the body of Christ, this fulfills your ministry. You are called to preach the heralder. I remember when I came to Saving Grace and and the Holy Spirit wouldn't leave me alone. There was a strong conviction. I mean, I was doing the things that uh, the people were doing at my workplace because I was part of that. I encouraged it many times. And so I come to Saving Grace and I come back to the workplace. I have to tell them. And many of them wanted to hear, and many of them did not want to hear. But do the work of an evangelist. Be ready in season, out of season. Now look at Paul's heart. Look at verse 6. And he begins to just describe. Remember, this is his second imprisonment. He knows the Holy Spirit's revealed it to him. His time is short. I believe he knew that Nero was going to have him killed. Historically, we know that he was beheaded. And so he begins in verse 6 to Timothy. For I am already, and I love this, being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. And yet Paul was waiting for the rapture of the church. Paul anticipated Jesus to return in his time. And here we are, 1950 plus years later, we're still waiting for the Lord. Paul, through the Holy Spirit, already sensed here in verse 6. The Holy Spirit already showed him. His departure was soon. His death at the hands of Rome was inevitable. Paul says here uh, to, so clearly, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Since Acts chapter 9... Paul received Christ there in the Damascus Highway, and through the years, 30 plus years of ministry, Paul is saying that Paul's life was a sacrifice unfolding before the Lord, and now the time was short. His ministry, his call, was about to come to completeness. Paul sensed that. I was thinking about it all weekend as I was going over the study and preparation. What would I do if I knew, you know, my time was next week? If my time, if I knew 2009 was it, if you knew and God gave you an exact date, listen, I'm going to use you a couple more months. What are you going to do? What legacy are you going to leave your family? What can you share with your coworkers? Because the urgency would be there, church. Now go back. He brings this drink offering out another time. Go to Philippians chapter 2 with me. Verses 17 and 18. Now you can easily say, well, listen, Paul's called to the ministry. Timothy's called to the ministry. Pastor Bob, you're called to the ministry. But how does that apply to me? Well, the Bible says uh, we're all preachers. The Bible says that we all have the same word of God and we should share it with others. The Old Testament says that sheep are going to begat sheep. And so listen to Paul as he shares to the Philippians. In, in Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 17. I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of, of your faith. He's speaking to the church at Philippi. I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Verse 18, he says, for the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Rejoice with me, because Paul went through a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. When you read Paul's testimony, you just shake your head. When him and Silas are in the Philippian jail, and they had already been beaten, placed in stocks, put there in the dungeon, and then they were singing praises to God at 12 midnight, it says. I read passages like that, and I said, Paul, don't do that. Because Paul's giving us an example. As I go through my trial, as you go through your trial, are we singing praises unto the Lord? Are we giving God all the glory? Are we murmuring and complaining? Now he speaks about, I'm being poured out. He said it in verse 6, and now he says it here in Philippians 2, 17. I'm being poured out as a drink offering. If you're taking notes, this subject of the drink offering... I believe that Paul was drawing from Genesis 35, verse 14. Now, this is the story of Jacob. Jacob had wrestled with the angel of the Lord. And we know that he wrestled all night. And then God touched the hollow of his thigh. And and we know that Jacob was never going to walk the same. Imagine, we, we spoke about healing. Well, Jacob walked with that limp for the rest of his life. That was a reminder. That's the day God touched you. That's the the day that God said, you're never going to forget me. And so there, Jacob's name finally, God changes it. He says, you're no longer going to be called Jacob, heel catcher, conniver. I mean, Jacob was all those things. But now you're going to be called Israel. Israel governed by God. And the Bible says there in Genesis 35, 14, that he erects this pillar. And he pours over the drink offering of oil, symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And he called that place Bethel, the house of God. And so Paul's testimony to Timothy. Hey, I'm being poured out, my whole life has been poured out in a drink offering. If you study the life of of ministry, it's never easy. Billy Graham has tremendous testimony, but the man has gone through trials, uh, many times physical trials. Some of my dear pastor friends, physical trials. I mean, Pastor Frank over here in Socorro, physical trials. Right now, Pastor Martin going through uh, his dad's physical trials. We're not exempt, church. And all these things. Count it all joy, James says, when you go through various trials and testing in your life. God's building patience in your life. You look at that word patience, he's building endurance, he's building strength, he's building stamina, and then he's building character. And I love that cliche, I, I've, I have it in my uh, my portfolio, I have enough character, Lord. But he's building. In our trials, listen, he chips away the old man, he chips away the old woman, and he's building a man of God, a woman of God. And so we go through trials. And so Paul comes to this conclusion, again, his short little testimony to Timothy. Look at verse 7. As we go back to our text, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Now, I look at this short little verse, and man, I want to apply it to my life. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Dr. Ralph Earl, in his Greek studies, says that Paul uses athletic terms here to describe his ministry. Listen to the translation in the Greek I have completed well in the great contest of life, eternal life. That's what he's speaking of. Dr. Earl goes on, in the early days of the Greek Olympian Games, the climax of the Olympic Games, was the 26 mile marathon race. It is still a great race today. Uh, The winner of this event was given the highest of honors. Not only the laurel wreath, but the perks that followed the winner. I have finished the race, the race of life. The Christian, now listen, does not strive to beat other Christians to the finish line. I beat you, you beat me. No, finish the race. Finish the race. It is so important. It's not who wins, but who finishes the course, who finishes the race of life in Christ Jesus. I want to hear one day those classic words from the Lord Jesus Christ. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter the glory of the Lord. Finish the race, church. We began in the Spirit. Finish in the Spirit. Let me give you uh, two verses here. Now, we all know the parable of the talents. Uh, We pick up the parable in Matthew chapter 25. And to three servants, the master gave to the first one five talents, to the second one uh, two talents, and to the third one one talent. In Matthew 25 verse 21, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, You were faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter. Into the joy of the Lord, he put the master's talents to work. And then to the second servant, in verse 23, he said the same. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You have fulfilled what God gave to you. But then there's an interesting take. The third servant is found in verse 30. He is called the unprofitable servant. He was cast into outer darkness. He was cast into hell. He was cast where uh, the gnashing of teeth and where the worm dies not. You see, God has given us talents, gifts. God has called us. Don't bury that talent. Don't bury that gift. We shared earlier, God has gifted, back in Romans chapter 12, some are gifted with a gift of exhortation. Some of you are gifted with a gift of giving. Some of you are given such gifts. Use them for the glory of God. Use your talents for the glory of God. I love when, you know, the people come up and do the worship and the praise and the singing and such. I mean, that's a gift. That's an anointing of the Holy Spirit you don't want to hear me play the guitar. That's not my gift. But the gift that God gives you. Now I want you to turn to another passage. We're still drawing from verse 7. Go to the book of Hebrews now. Just flip ahead a few few chapters there. Go to the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now Paul calls this passage the race of faith. I like what he says here. In verse 1, he begins, Hebrews 12. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded, listen to Paul, by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares or entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, the race of eternal life, the course of eternal life. You see, from time to time, I'll get that question. Pastor, why was I born? Why was I created? You were born, you were created to come into this world, listen, and to worship God. To worship God. Lord, we're we're here to worship you, to praise you, to exalt you, Lord. Oh, in the process, you know, we go through life, we go through our educations, we, uh, God finds us a spouse, we, we're able to, uh, some of us get married, children, and, and you know, it's just beautiful. What is our purpose? To glorify Him. He says, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look at verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, because how am I going to do it? How am I going to accomplish this race? Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher, listen, of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Oh, I like that. Jesus has taken his rightful place. The Bible says that Jesus will not stand again, Until he takes the seal. The seal of this planet earth. And he'll stand up and take it. And he'll unscroll it. And that's the first judgments. The seven seals. And then the seven trumpets. And then the seven bold judgments. He takes the title deed of earth. That's the next time he'll stand up. Now, it's interesting. In Romans chapter 8, verse 34, it says that Jesus sits at the right hand of God, and he makes intercession for me. He makes intercession for you. I'll tell you, that baffles the mind, that Jesus is praying for me. Jesus is praying for you. He sits at the right hand of the Father, and he makes intercession. He intercedes for you. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, listen, he died for us. I don't know if you've ever just taken some time, some quiet time, and just reflect. It's just you, your Bible, cup of coffee, and the Lord, just right there in your room, wherever it might be, and just reflect. Lord, you saved me. Lord, you saved me. Lord, I want to finish the race. Lord, I want to do for you. Lord, I want to serve you. And the list goes on. I tell you what. As much as you desire and should desire to speak with him, he desires to speak with you. Now, Paul comes to the conclusion of this morning. Look at verse 8, back in our text. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only. I like what Paul did there. Not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And so Paul knows that he's being poured out as a drink offering. He knows his time is short. And so here now in in verse 8, here's the reward to those, listen, that finish the course, finish the race, a crown of righteousness, the victor's crown, for finishing the race, God's race. Oftentimes, I'll do, go to a different translation. I usually work out of a New King James, give you some translations in, in the Greek. If we're in the Old Testament, give you some translations in the Hebrew. And I've gone to the NIV or also to the New Living Translation, but I looked at the Amplified The Amplified Bible, if you ever get an opportunity, it does exactly that. It amplifies. And verse 8, I want you to listen. The Amplified Bible here in verse 8, As to what remains, henceforth there is laid up for me this victor's crown, crown of righteousness for being right with God and doing right, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me and recompense me On that great day, and not only me, but also to all those who have loved and yearned for his appearing. For his appearing. Do we anticipate the coming of the Lord? Do we welcome his appearing? I mean, we just finished Christmas. It's a beautiful time in December. And, I mean, we go through the rituals, the rites, the customs, uh, the traditions. But uh, because we're Christian, we're celebrating the birth of Christ. And, and in a sense, we, we leave, you know, December and we go, oh, man, January. Oh, wow, look at the bills now. And maybe some of you already start, uh, how far are we away from December? Because that's the good time of the month. And this year, because it it fell in the middle, everybody was having a long week off. It's beautiful. But do we anticipate his soon return? It's called the parousia of Christ. Now, I want to give you these verses before we end. God promises us five crowns. And I remember hearing an old teaching years ago. Listen, I don't care about any crowns. I just want to get into the kingdom of God but God has crowns for us. In 1 Corinthians 9:25, it's called the victor's crown. The second one is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 19 and 20, and also Philippians chapter 4 verse 7, it's called the soul winner's crown. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 8, we just read, it's the salvation crown. In 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 2 and 4, uh, the crown of service. And here's the last one. And many were receiving this crown in the early church and still today in third world countries. Revelation chapter 2 verse 10, the martyr's crown. God promises us to finish the course, finish the race. And he has stored for us, listen, crowns, crowns. Maybe we'll get all five. Or maybe we'll get four and and not be able to, you know, get the martyr's crown. But listen, again, making reference back to what the master said to the servants. Those that had the talents and that worked the talents. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter the glory of the Lord. I'll tell you what. What? Talk about the crowns, the, the laurel reef, it fades away. Talk about the perks when you get into the pearly gates. Everything that's there, it's yours. God has a plan for us, church. And if Paul was encouraging Timothy, these are the last days. And here we are, 1950 plus years later, we're looking at the last days. Israel is in conflict at Gaza Strip there. The Hamas is causing them problems, and the problems are just beginning. These are the birth pangs, the Bible says. We see these things. Look up. Your redemption draws near, Jesus said. Now this morning, as we prepare to end, let me challenge you. If you don't know Christ, here's your opportunity. Don't leave here without Jesus. Remember, two choices, two camps. Either we receive him or we reject him. Either we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior or we reject him. Your works will never get you into the kingdom of God. Jesus paid the full price. Let's all stand. We'll end with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your grace.